0: Live from our studio, oh, am I talking, am I on the radio? Oh, I am. Live from our studio in a basement down an alley downtown, it's 508, a show about Worcester. It is June the 8th, 2018, and our panel today is potentially you listening at home, live. You can call in at 508-471-5265. How you doing, Brendan Melican? I'm just curious, where would you be if not on the radio? Um... I don't know. Friday afternoon, I have no idea. This morning I was at the H- Worcester Historical Museum doing research. Maybe I would still be there doing research. Okay. Um
1: I would like to point out this is our first time doing a show on a Friday. Usually we're following a Walter Bird. He's very neat, cleans up after himself afterwards. Now we just followed up these two uh, fools from Worcester Magazine, uh, Josh and Bill. That table is covered with all of these pens from banks. I don't know what these guys have going on uh, during the day, but if there's anybody in white-collar crime uh, with the Department of Justice paying attention to the show, probably not. You probably want to keep an eye on these two.
0: Today, uh, Brent crude oil is $77 a barrel, up 1% on the week, and Bitcoin is $7,600, essentially unchanged this week. You're listening to Unity Radio, broadcasting with 100,000 milliwatts of power on 102.9 FM, streaming at westernmag.com, and cablecasted at WCCATV194, and podcasted at pieandcoffee.org, and live-streamed to our Facebook page you a whole thanks, one person watching. Thanks to Gabrielle Powers, the mighty Gabrielle Powers, and also Ben for engineering today's show. No hanks Stoltz. No hanks today. We should, apo- we should probably start off, this should be the apology show, start off apologizing to everyone who tuned in thinking they were going to get something else. <laughs> Whatever you thought you were getting, it ain't that. So, yeah. welcome. Uh, I don't know what's going on this week, Brendan. It's not a Tuesday, so there's no city council meeting tonight. And the city council agenda won't be announced till like five o'clock. Yeah. So I sort of feel. I mean, what I what would I be doing Friday afternoon? Is just sort of zoning out, watching TV, waiting for the city council agenda to go live. Okay. We can make stuff up. What do you predict
1: will be on the city council agenda I next don't know. week?
0: It doesn't matter. I mean, it looks like it looks like I mean, it looks like many of our uh, many of the subplots from the spring uh, of this year are kind of resolving at the city council. We had the t- the flavor tobacco regulation thing. You know what? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to make a prediction. Yeah. 99
1: million people are going to show up at City Hall and go absolutely bonkers about the reality that Notre Dame Church is likely to come down.
0: Oh right, because this week the mayor was like, the city's not going to spend ten million dollars. Yes, yeah. which is kind of funny. I was
1: watching uh, I think it might have been the men yesterday. I was watching uh, Walter's program. Yeah, and there was like a breaking news sort of thing because Nick Atzalp made mention about it. And sure. This is how I think like breaking news is kind of funny in Worcester. It was the day before I was driving by, and all the, uh, the the lifts were up in front of the church, and they were clearly like moving things out from the inside, and they were clearly getting ready to staging to get the windows out and whatnot. And I'm like, oh well looks like that's that. It was kind of funny that, you know, I think anyone who just popped over in the uh, 24 hours or so before that announcement probably could have just talked to a construction worker and said, yeah, we're getting ready to take it down. Good luck with that.
0: This gets this gets back to something which we frequently discuss with um, the late Jeff Barnard at the top of the show, which is that there's probably no top story this week in Worcester. <laughs> I feel like this is a week. I mean, I feel like this is a week where certain things have resolved, but like plot wise, there's no new... Exciting subplots. There's no new exciting characters in public life in Worcester. All of us are living our own lives, which are an amazing adventure. So much better than public life in Worcester. But in the public life in Worcester story, soap opera, no new subplots this week. No new characters. Is Gary Gary Rosen's evil twin was not like come back from the dead because we thought he died in a plane crash that we're aware of. Did. Yeah, I mean, if no, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like he probably came back from the dead, but mm-hmm. we won't find out till like next week. Tune this week, next this week, week there's kind of nothing going
1: on. We should probably make mention too that um, Gabriella, we're terrible with time. Uh, we're rarely paying attention to anything, so please make sure just like wave your arms around if you need us to stop talking, because in all likelihood, we'll just ruin all of the station's plans for taking in revenue and whatnot.
0: You know, I feel like like honestly the top story this week is something which we probably cannot talk about a lot because it's a crime thing, and we usually don't have much to say about crime, and also our attitude tends to be a poor attitude, which is usually never the attitude that you should approach when discussing tragic events. Sure. Uh, but, like, basically, I think the top story this week is similar to the top story last week. Last week, our top story was that we had had the first homicide of the mm-hmm. year. And this year, the, the news is that we basically had the second homicide of the year. The person, I guess, technically dying in Holden, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, dumped as they were dying just over the Holden line to die in Holden, and uh, which is bizarre. Yeah. Um, but basically it's, basically it 's Worcester's Second homicide of the year
1: I, the, we and I, you and I were talking about this the, one of the things that I found really odd about this story uh, had nothing to do with the story itself. It was more of like a self awareness sort of thing. so I live essentially on this the Worcester version of the street leading into where where uh, this young person 's body was found mm-hmm. and all the news stories, especially Boston news stories, were referring to the, the, referring to the area as a remote section you should stop doing that um, yes. um, a remote section of Worcester and uh the, uh, it, it was kind of a weird realization to, to or thing to wrap my head around that we I still live you in the live in a remote large,
0: part of Worcester. But
1: there, can there be such a thing? It's a second largest city in New England. It's like saying it's a remote section of Central Park in New York, right? I mean, it's like it's still in a giant metropolis. There, you can't be remote. It's uh, Yeah.
0: Worcester is a bit of a complicated city population distribution-wise, and so maybe you, you need to refer to it as something. You need to somehow characterize that this is not like downtown Worcester or the highway or whatever people think of when they think of Worcester could just say holden you know i feel like maybe this week's thing is like you know to to maybe this week's theme is the uh is the meaninglessness of statistics or the complexity of statistics um and the need for interpretation and deep understanding like one of the articles that i looked at this week and printed out was something by nick katsopoulos at the tng which is called eight worcester incidents in 2017 were labeled hate crimes um and uh, most of them were against the police, I guess. Five of the six, six – six of the incidents – six of the eight incidents were um, involving a victim who was a police officer. So we had eight hate crimes in 2017. Six of them police hate crimes, which just sort of makes me feel like – I don't know if this statistic is actually helpful. I mean maybe the maybe the reality is we have so few hate crimes that it's like – like an amazing thing. Like just like we have very few murders in Worcester, but more likely it's that like hate crime reporting is this strange thing which uh, police, sh- you know, police arresting somebody are likely to check that box on the form, and that under normal circumstances, whenever you've been victimized or whatever, you're usually not going to go into all the enough detail that the officer is going to note that there was some racial whatever. Can you just whatever clarify
1: for me that you're saying that the hate crimes were uh, at uh, like directed at police officers? So yes. Like the police were the victims of the hate crimes. Yes.
0: And this is, again, speaking of statistics, this is this is a, from a report um, presented to the Human Rights Commission on Monday. Um, and none of this information ever makes it online. Like none of these PDFs ever make it online that I can tell. So I've emailed the Human Rights Commission today trying to get this. So we may discuss this in more detail next week. We'll get, it, we'll get an actual thing. But this is from Tiana M. Antol, Principal Crime Analyst for the Police Department. Ms. Antol emphasized that six of the eight incidents that were reported as hate crimes involved a victim who was a police officer. Uh, and five of the six incidents targeting officers involved racial bias, while another involved an alleged sexual orientation bias.
1: Okay, so that makes sense. I first, the way you first presented that, I was wondering if somehow the the city had dug up some special designation for police officers that... Uh, they were somehow covered under the you know ADA, or oh, it was oh. like a, a sub demographic that and insulting
0: uh, somebody as a because they're a cop <laughs> is itself a hate crime. Calling somebody a pig would be a hate crime under this. I mean, uh, it would be probably it would be a potentially hateful thing, but that's maybe actually covered not a under the First
1: crime. Amendment. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. yeah. But,
0: anyway, so I guess you know. I, thank but, you for clarifying. Um, I guess we'll talk for a couple more minutes and then go to a break. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I, I, I just just to talk about things in the remote past that have nothing to do with news in Worcester today. One of the things that I was researching this morning at the historical museum was the uh, famous Worcester anti-klan riot of nineteen twenty-four, October, October eighteenth slash nineteenth, nineteen twenty-four, because it was like an all-night riot. Fantastic moment in Worcester um, history. Yeah, this is a fifteen thousand-person uh, event. This yeah. this riot mostly. N- anti-Clan people on this riot.
1: Before you go too deep down this yeah. road, can you just, I, I want you to try and focus on one component of this because it's yes. always part of the lore that was explained to me and I've never yes. actually spent some time researching this, but it was always my understanding The airplane that-
0: thing or the Swedish thing? neither. Okay, that's no, that the third this, thing.
1: That this was one of the first instances in uh, Worcester where the Irish Catholic population and the Italian Catholic population actually kind of came together for the unified cause of running the Klan out of the city of Worcester that prior to that there was a lot of animosity between uh, the Irish and the Italians but right. their uh, shared Catholicism and the Klan's uh, hatred of Catholicism uh, or bigotry to- towards Catholicism was one of the early things to actually unite the Italian and the Irish populations in the city. And
0: this, so this is is why I'm doing research on this because I'm looking, for, wrong. No, cause I'm looking for primary sources on this stuff. Oh. For example, one of the things that I found um, had a clipping from uh, 1919 in the newspaper about the Tuesday Afternoon Girls Club at the Quinsigman Branch Library, mm-hmm. which is a thing where, you know, like uh, five or six little Swedish girls told stories or ba- learned about baking or something with an adult present. And they had a nice little article about this. And I cannot figure out why this is like in the... KKK section of the historical museum, I'm going to guess that some of these little girls <laughs> grew up to be important clan figures, and I just haven't made that connection yet. All right. um, this is the level of research that I'm trying to do, though, like, understand the origins of, like, what was Swedish life like in Worcester in the 20s? Yeah. What was Italian? I mean, I know from, like, the, uh, you know, the, uh, um, whatever you want to call it, like, oral history, you know, the, 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 the conventional wisdom that this was, like, an important moment, but I can't actually find anybody Running the numbers on this, yeah. or even anybody's memoir where they say that this was true, that would be a proof enough for me.
1: Oh, totally. It, it just—it's always struck me as one of those really good examples. If you—if you can get to the bottom of this mystery, uh, a really good example of the idea that there's nothing better to unite uh, folks, especially if they uh, view themselves as being on separate teams, than a common enemy. Right. It's, I've always been a big fan of the Gene Roddenberry idea that we really just need aliens to show up, and then humanity will be cool with each other.
0: Well. Until that happens, this is 508, Worcester's Antifa voice. We'll be back in a moment with more. (laughs) Thrill of a lifetime. Get your ticket and come in. Killers of the Amazon can devour a cow in a matter of seconds, can leave nothing but the bare bones. First time shown in your city, and you may never have the chance to see it again. Alive, 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 the deadly piranhas. $10,000 reward, if not absolutely alive. Alive never before shown, and you may never again have the chance to see it again. The most terrifying flesh eaters from the deep. Brendan Malik and myself Michael Benedetti, and you at home who can call in live at five o eight four seven one five two six five. I want to. I want to. I want to mention the Swedes and the airplane stuff. I don't know what we're talking. I mean, do you do you care about enough I, about this that we should talk about it for five more minutes? Does this have to do with the Klan? clan? And yeah. Oh doing, yeah. Yeah. So I have no idea what you're talking about. All right. So so the so the sweet So you know, you were you were talking about the um, at this point I'll consider it a legend because I haven't nailed it down exactly. The the legend that this uh, anti-clan movement was this thing which really like built a lot of connections between the Italian American and the Irish American right. communities in Worcester. Um, Part of it, which is not a legend, is that the Klan in Worcester was was largely a Swedish organization. Really? <laughs> a lot of Swedish immigrants. Which people, it was it was sort of a unique clan movement in that the clan was generally against all immigrants, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, in this case, it was like, no, the Swedes are good. The Swedes are, you know, they're Nordic. They're like on the cover of metal I mean, albums. I guess if, you, if
1: you're going to be a bigot, right, like you got to draw a line somewhere, especially in yeah. a country that's totally made up of immigrants. Like you just got to pick a time frame or a point of origin and say, okay, these people are cool. It's everybody else we get a problem
0: with. Well, I'll tell you. So in, in uh, 1924, I guess, this is, this is from an old paper by Kevin Hickey, who was going by records of the Klan itself as well as records of anti-Klan activists who had kept records from those days, looking at the number of uh, – Swedes who were involved in this, Swedish immigrants and other other Swedish people, Uh, that 10% of the people in Worcester were Swedes at the time, and that 50% of the Klansmen in Worcester were Swedes at the time. 62% of the Klansmen worked at Norton. Really? Yeah. Like, I I don't know what percentage of Worcester's workforce worked at that one facility and say, in the early 20s, but— well, it's kind of in a weird way a reverse statistic too cuz I'm sure they
1: had a, that there was a large population just in general from of, the county right, working there, right? So, right. so it 60, wasn't
0: like 60% of the people at Norton landsmen. Yeah. Clansmen, <laughs> yeah just I just want to make sure you clarify that one. Were right. I mean, well, I'll say it this way that it was there was about 3,000 clans people at the time. Yeah. So, 60% of 3,000 is like 1,800.
1: There was or probably some
0: pamphlets being handed around at Norton company, yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Um 30% of uh, well, you could also look at the statistic this way is that he found out that Thirty percent of the Klansmen in the city of Worcester were Swedes who worked at Norton, <laughs> or about nine hundred people. All right, well, yeah. yeah. So there you go. The other, so the other thing is that you, you have, you know the, you know the airplane legend around this.
1: I know nothing about the airplane legend. That's well, why I've said this to you twice now. You're I feel
0: like this. Waiting this is, for is the story. See, so you know that you know the Irish Catholic. Lore around this, the piece of lore that I, I know a bunch hear, of stuff that my grandfather probably made there up. You go, was, there you go. There you go. See, so whenever I hear people talking about this, the thing that they mostly mention is that somebody shot a, a Klansman's airplane out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and and if any recent articles that you read about this, they always say there is a debunked rumor that was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Definitely debunked rumor that a Klansman's airplane had been shot out of the sky. <laughs> and um. I always it's but but the thing is it's like the most vivid thing of the entire story, basically. Sure. So it's the kind of thing where it's hard to even write an article about it because what people will remember is that story. And they may or may not remember that it's debunked. The right. word debunked may or may not stick in their memory. So five years later, they're telling the story, and they're like, yeah, I think somebody's airplane was shot out of the sky. People are like, that's badass.
1: Except, you know, I think there's some context that needs to come into play there, too, though, where, you know, if you're thinking of an airplane today, right, we're not talking about a Klansman in 1920s This is a biplane or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's essentially a paper plane uh, with a guy with a leather cap and goggles and a, and a big ascot uh, flowing behind him. That would be essentially the plane, right?
0: Well, I want to point the finger at that Bercher rag, the telegram. <laughs> at the time pre bircher but I'm sure Bircher and Spirit ragged the telegram maybe this is what converted the, them in yeah. the article so this, this riot was happening the night of the 18th of October a Saturday Saturday night riot and the morning of the 19th a Sunday in October and in the Sunday evening issue of the telegram they had a picture of the plane. They had a thing about how the plane oh, really? was shot down. They had denials from the pilot of the plane that it was shot down. But they, like the caption of the plane was like, here is the plane that was shot down. So this this is a rumor which started from like ground zero of this, so, information-wise. And you haven't confirmed whether or not that actually took place? It definitely didn't take place. This oh, really? Is, this is universally considered to not have taken place.
1: So it was just an accidental crash landing of a uh, Klansman in a, a guy, in a paper
0: plane? The guy so this is a Klansman who was flying to this like five thousand person Klan rally in Worcester. And um <laughs> So what kind of anti aircraft guns did Worcester folk in the nineteen twenties have that they were uh, taking up this plane? A, so he so he like had some kind of like a kink developed in the fuel line or something so he okay. decided to set down on the shores of Lake Quinsigamond. Which is wow. not where you're supposed to land your plane. But no. he landed he landed you're short. Supposed of, to swim there right yeah. now. He landed short of the airport or wherever the heck you're supposed to land back in the day. And um the newspaper people of course ran over there to see what was going on. And um there was a hole in the guy's airplane and the guy was like, That hole's been there for a while. And, but the newspaper was like, we don't believe this guy. We definitely think his plane was shot down. But, like, historians like a reason- do not believe that that happened. Oh, really? Okay. That it doesn't make any sense that somebody shot down a plane.
1: It kind of does make sense that somebody could shoot down a, an old plane like that, though, right? I mean,
0: well, this, this it also
1: doesn't make sense that we just take the word for, of a guy who presumably came here for nefarious purposes, too. Like, if, if I'm sure that same Klansman in the same interview probably said, I wasn't in Worcester to spread bigotry and hatred amongst people. Like, right, right. we're just here to, you know, I don't know, hand out our pamphlets and whatnot.
0: Like, I'll, point out, I'll point out that on the recruiting uh, flyer that you would get for the KKK that somebody would give you that you would then fill out your information. One of the questions on there was, are you a white supremacist? Or is right, there a little or, or, bit more or I would forward? Say, do you yeah. believe in white supremacy? So again, there are many people in the in the late 70s. There were people being interviewed in the TNG about this who were like, it wasn't an anti-black or whatever, anti-Jewish, anti-whatever organization. It was like a pro, but it like had on the paper like, are you a white supremacist? Do you believe in white supremacy? So we, uh, yeah, yeah, like there was nothing magically happy and nice about the Worcester Klan. It was just as gross as the clan any, anywhere else. I mean, th- this is why I like to do primary research though, because like I'll say God. Bless Bless Al Southwick, God bless his little heart. Like I've learned so much about Worcester from him. Sure. I have learned also that about ten percent of what he says about Worcester is not true. Did you say Al Southwick has a small heart? His, you know, his his big heart. Right. he has a little heart because he's, you know, I'm thinking of him as like as like a little. I know that was an insult or like you're pointing on an anatomical is like, flaw. His th- heart is like three sizes too large. So okay. Like Al Southwick is a great guy, but uh, what? You know, one thing I've realized is that if you go back at the primary sources, that for example, Thomas Wentworth, Thomas Wentworth Higginson did not invent Christmas as it's currently practiced in Worcester, despite Al Southwick's repeated insistence that he did. No evidence of this. Misreading of the primary sources. Same way. I, I thought that I, was the guy who were in the pirate pr- investigation for in hawaii no that's the guy you're thinking of you're thinking of magnum pi thomas magnum but, no, but no. who was his boss higgins higgins the, the british guy yeah i thought the guy was like a waiter or something i never really watched that show okay. but one thomas wentworth higginson was the guy who helped he didn't help run you're getting higgins
1: confuses captain stewing Mike. that's the he problem d-
0: he did thomas wentworth higginson who was also emily dickinson's best friend and published her stuff kind of against her will after she died higginson was not the guy... He wasn't a prominent abolitionist. He was not the guy who led the riots against U.S. Marshals when they came to Worcester to seize fugitive slaves. He was the guy who escorted U.S. Marshals out of Worcester so that they would not be killed by unruly mobs on the streets. That's the thing that I should. we should read, is we should read one of these stories. There's a great story about... It, you're going to have to now. You just confused me. I have no idea Worc- what you're talking about. One of the Worcester newspapers... Oh, does, there's a guy Asa Butman who was a U.S. marshal who would come to Worcester to seize fugitive slaves. The Worcester newspaper at the time did not refer to him as U.S. marshal. No, it just referred to him as the notorious kidnapper. Asa Butman came to Worcester last week to, you know, tr- seize fugitive slaves, and it only ever referred to him as the kidnapper of Butman. It never referred to him as U.S. marshal, though that's what he was. Because I just love that total political bias. You mm. know, this is just as, like there was like Worcester newspaper newspaper which never referred to Joe Petty as the mayor. It was just like that dirtbag Petty, <laughs> and they assume that you know he's the mayor but they're like, we're not going to dignify him with that term. They, uh, at one point, so Higginson and a few other uh, abolitionists in Worcester were like, we need to get this guy out of town. Cause he came to the town. People found out he was staying in a hotel. They like surrounded the hotel. They were going to burn it down. And Higginson was like, I'm against slavery, but this is probably going to get out of hand. So they're escorting him out of town. And like, as they come around the corner where the courthouse is, and yeah. this newspaper story tells this very vividly, like this, b- this big black dude, it just comes out of around from around the corner and just like, Punches Ace of Butman, like right in that side of the head, and like knocks him out. And Isn't he's... that? Didn't that take place at uh, the building like right next door where Dead Horse is? I think so. Yeah, or the hotel. Where this that is was, like right yeah. around. This was like right around there. Anyway, uh, stories from Worcester back in the day. Stories from my childhood, Brendan. Yeah. Now, can we talk about fantastic mustaches from the late '70s, early '80s? I don't want to. I would rather talk about Tom Selleck than talk about Star Wars. All right. I don't know. Where do we, we at? Have, do we have a phone call, or we just need to stop talking? All right, we need to just yeah, stop talking. Yeah, we'll go t- t- we'll take a break. This is 508 Worcester's Week-by-Week Good Faith Survey of Evidence. We'll be back in a moment with more. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye, and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye, and dark within. And this is Brendan Malekin, and I'm Michael Benedetti, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. You can call in live at 508-471-5265. Brendan Melikan. You don't want to talk about the Skybridge thing, huh?
1: No, I want to know how
0: many five-year-olds you could take in a fight. I don't know. Gabriel, how, do you how many this five-year-olds this a, can you take red, in a fight? Is this a Reddit thing? Is this a Star no. Wars thing?
1: No, that's ducks or that, – that's giant ducks uh, or very small ponies. But I can no, barely at least take a,
0: my little sister in one fight, yeah. so probably one.
1: Uh, unnamed person sitting next to Gabriella who just kind of showed up in the studio. Five-year-olds, Does how many do you think? Say four. Four. Okay, that's a, that's a good No, I, So, Mike, what I was getting at was, uh, yeah. and I, I just noticed this in passing. I think it came out a couple days ago. Uh, Clive McFarland uh, had a column recently. Oh, right.
0: Talking about. Oh, about. Okay, go ahead. Well,
1: now, I mean, the, the crux of, this, of the column was, was discussing uh, a recent case in the Worcester Public Schools where two preschoolers. Uh, were disciplined for uh, drawing a picture of a bomb. Um, And, you know, that in itself seemed absurd, but what really got absurd was uh, the district spokesperson on safety stuff, Rob Bozzella, was kind of getting into the weeds on uh, why we have to take things, like, seriously, but, like, put on his straight man act while he was going through this and I just could not wrap my head around the idea let me say it this way like if you if you're working for an administration the Worcester Public Schools and you're finding five-year-olds to be that threatening you're probably in the wrong line of work. And I'm not saying that every five-year-old grow, grows up to be a saint, right? Like that—that's cool. Lots of five-year-olds grow up to be terrible people. But no matter what comes out of the head of a five-five-year-olds are by definition clinically insane, small people, right? That's like—that's what they are. So sometimes they do some weird things, including. Be creative and and, and and express themselves in ways that adults will look at what and is, say, I have
0: no idea what's going on here. What is going on in this country, Brendan? But what is going on in this city where what we're disciplining going... five-year-olds for drawing pictures? How many? So I'll tell you this: When I was nine years old, I can tell you right now, I drew probably up, I drew probably not a thousand bombs a day at school, but I definitely drew hundreds of bombs a day at school. Yeah, giant robots that were like crushing things. There was I, mean, I explosions actually drew more realistic. I feel like I mo- usually wrote, drew more realistic military hardware. Well, why are you not in prison yet, Mike? <laughs> Because Why like, are we still allowing you to participate? Because I grew up particip- in the lawless red state of Oklahoma. Why
1: are you still being allowed to participate in polite society? I don't know. It was such a bizarre column, though. And I, I really would encourage anybody uh, who, who's at all interested in, in, as as a parent who who's a kid in the Worcester Public Schools, like, if you really, I think, want to get a, a, a sense of the mindset when it comes to school safety, there are so many great arguments to be made for improvements to and changes to uh, the way we treat safety of young people in schools. Then there's just bizarro land, where you've got uh, otherwise rational, well-thinking adults who take completely uh, innocuous things that kids just do, and they find threatening things in it. And to me, that's far more terrifying than any terrible thing that could happen, that could actually happen in a school, is when the leadership yes. looks at young people and finds them to be the threat in general.
0: Do you feel, Do you, I mean, you know a little bit about education. Do you feel like a teacher has uh, discretion on something like that, or that that's the kind of thing where a teacher just has to cover their ass? Well,
1: that is where uh, Clive was kind of getting in on things a little bit, was that a lot of this is the byproduct of zero tolerance policies. So it's, you know, yeah. one of the examples they gave, and again, uh, the school department justified its decisions on, you know, a kid bringing, uh, finding an empty Shell casing from a bullet, whether it be like you know an old rifle cartridge that Grandpa brought home from the war, or something they just picked up on the road on the way to school, and then bringing it to school to, to show and tell and talking about that—that that is a mandatory suspension. We've been doing that for for ages in Worcester now. Huh. But the thing is, like that's in that, that's a that's a thing that can't possibly hurt anyone any more than like another piece of metal, like my pen, right? Like, yes, this has actually, already been blown up. It can't blow up is, anymore. This is, this has lived out its useful life as a projectile, as an explosive it's device. It's like the it's,
0: least explosive thing in the classroom potentially because it's already exploded
1: yeah no it's, it's mo- no more dangerous than a you know some change in your pocket or some paper clips but just because of the context around it right like it, it, it's related to a firearm so it was it, we once have to, da- dangerous it was one time dangerous it will forever be dangerous man i just this is the stuff that just bums me out about kids growing up today it's not that they live in a in a more dangerous time because they don't it's not that they live in a scarier time because they don't it's really that they're surrounded by adults who are so crazy and paranoid that everything under the bed is going to destroy their their lives that they treat kids like the world is coming to an end, and it just doesn't seem very fun. So I'm sorry, kids. That's really all I wanted to get to is I'm, yeah. I'm really sorry, kids.
0: I'm always on the side of the kids, man. Yeah,
1: and if you if you do find a, a spent bullet casing somewhere, like, you can actually make a kind of cool whistle out of those. So just don't bring it to school and show your you friends.
0: You know, one, one of my goddaughter's fourth birthday is coming up soon, and you know what I'm buying her?
1: What's that? pocket knife nice good for you
0: fixed blade yeah a serious dangerous looking knife
1: i just you know I, I just built up a new bike with my son the other day and um he it was opening packaging and whatnot it was so nice to see him pull out his openal number eight and
0: uh yeah it was
1: uh but it, it was even nicer I, c- I had to pretend otherwise because you know i have to at least pretend to be a responsible adult in front of my son uh but you know the, the blade was all burnt from where he was playing with it with fire heating it up and, yeah, and using it to course, cut things course. just stuff you do as a kid right <laughs> of course but that's stuff we did as a kid. It's stuff that my son does as a kid. It's stuff that your niece does as a kid. But a lot of kids don't get the opportunity to do that and just kind of play and explore things, break things,
0: build things. Part of growing up. Let me ask you, Brendan, do you think as you're a you're a you're a father, you're an experienced dad. Do you think that for <laughs> do you think that for say a four year old is four year olds not a toddler, four year is way past being a toddler. What do you call that age? Uh, preschool tween. I don't oh, know. Th- that's preschool. what you call a
1: threat to the city of Worcester. Who could you think, Could you draw think, <laughs> a bomb that will blow up the city? Oh, at any that's moment.
0: right. She should bring that to preschool. Do you think that? Do you think for um a preschooler, a, a small folding knife is better or like a small fixed blade is better? I think the fixed blade because I feel like it's less it's less dangerous, but. We uh we've talked about this a bit. I was I think
1: 5 or 6, I believe when I got my when my grandfather
0: gave me my first pocket knife yeah. and it was one of those small like
1: keychain these have those little chrome plated things that they would have sure. in like a a cylinder jar sort of thing at the, uh, on the counter at CVS like yeah. it would be like a nickel. Um, yeah. the folding but I still have the scar on this which finger is it? Yeah, right here. You can see the scar right on that knuckle there and that's actually from the folding knife clamping down on my uh, my finger. So Yeah.
0: yeah I don't know. I mean, I, this depends. Do you want to earn some scars or do you want to be safe? I mean, I feel like this kid is going to be heavily supervised and that if she cuts herself, people are going to kind of be like, that's, you know, you're paying the cost to be the boss. Like, the only thing that I works.
1: would point out there, and this is something I think about in hindsight whenever I notice that weird scar on my finger, is kids' fingers are really small and it doesn't take much to just, like, lop one right off. Right, <laughs> you know, it's like right. like kids also heal to. fast. But the fingers don't grow back. Oh, okay. <laughs> you only get one go
0: at those digits. It's um.
1: But yeah, you know, I mean, in hindsight, I think I probably, without much effort, probably could have just clipped that end right off with a with a small pocket knife.
0: You know, Brendan, I thought maybe I had my list of line items from the city 2019 budget with me, but I don't have it. But I don't have that printout anymore. I just have this boring thing that has graphs in it. Because I wanted to, I want, I just wanted to loop back to something which you claimed that we talked about, which, which has stayed in my folder. So I'm doubtful which is from back in April, Worcester deciding to pay $12 million to settle this case where the city was supposed to build a sky bridge yeah. from a hotel. <laughs> and for many decades, it feels like now, well, this is a six-year-old lawsuit. It feels like a long, longer than six years old. Well, the plans came up, I think, before that. Okay. And then the lawsuit came up six years ago. That the city was basically like, we're never going to we're build never gonna We're paying $12 million
1: to not build something. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's a really bad idea. Like, uh, it has to be a really terrible idea. Yeah, the city's just going to just turn, try and say, you know, it's easier to just give you the money than build this horrible thing.
0: Somehow they thought it was going to be way cheaper. Um, but, it, I mean, this is like basically – this is like 2% of the city's annual budget uh, in this settlement. So, you know, like – on the one hand, you could be like, "Oh, like this is definitely enough to save Notre Dame. Like this is potentially twice as much as you would need to save Notre Dame." But on the other hand, it's also Don't also give talking anybody about any ideas, Mike. It's but very you're also talking you. about two percent of the city's budget. So that I mean, that's maybe the way to frame the Notre Dame thing It's just to say, "Like, do you want the city to spend one percent of its budget this year to save this building?" I kind of, I kind of, I don't know. Maybe, I mean.
1: If you had to choose between saving Notre Dame and a sky bridge, what would you uh, what would you go for?
0: Oh, I would say Notre Dame in a second over mm-hmm. the sky bridge. Yeah, the sky everybody has a sky bridge. Not that many people have like this sweet looking church like right downtown in the middle of all this development. Like That's I was just point. walking down, I was walking down uh, you know the new piece of Front Street the other day and looking over the roofs of some of the new City Square yeah. development up at the Notre Dame church and just thinking this is such a great view. It's really terrible that that's, this is going to go away. Like I, you know, I understand that the fiscal reality that it's ridiculous to spend two percent of the city's budget saving one building.
1: Yeah, no. But I wish. That's the one thing that really bums me out about all of this. I think is that, uh, well, besides the the fact that I know decades from now our kids are all going to look at us and say people yeah. are so dumb. Um, yeah. But it, it, the really the thing that, that bothers me is we don't, as a city, have much of a skyline if any skyline at all. And the things that do stand out as a skyline are pretty iconic. They're, this, you know, the bizarro mirror, mirrored glass tower that we have that, uh, you know, the 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 peaks from Union Station. The, ter- and the, turtle,
0: the turtle boy doesn't count because it's too small. You
1: don't really see that. Right? <laughs> from it, the highway. If you were flying over the city in your small Klan uh, airplane, you might be able to see the the, the, the Burnside Fountain, but okay. yeah, otherwise not going to notice that. Um, but the, uh, the church is one of those things that does yes. kind of stand out on that side of the city, and it it'll It'll be missed on that front.
0: You know, Brendan, As here's another thing that was just my understanding of history, not backed up by any primary sources I've seen. My understanding of history is that many a town in medieval Europe or Renaissance era Europe said, you know what, we've got a lot of money. We're bu- really building up money and it's a li- little bit hard to preserve wealth long term in this world that doesn't have a great banking system and in which, you know, like uh, gold can get stolen easily and grain can go bad quickly. Like what we should invest in is building the best church we can even if it takes decades and decades because if we plow our money into this we will be a destination for years to come mm-hmm. and this will like benefit our children grandchildren etc and this is I would say in many cases proven out like I wonder that, I mean, this is what I think that our grandchildren will say looking back at losing Notre Dame is saying, like, that actually would have been a reasonable 2% to spend, guys. Like, of stuff that you spent 2% on back in uh, 2019, like, of stuff that turned out to be a good idea long term, like, that actually would have been up there.
1: Possibly, but I think that also, you know, it, it, you're skirting over the fact that uh, when it comes to churches uh, as – See Notre Dame, that attendance is, is is dropping. So unless you find a yes. really good way to repurpose the building, that medieval uh, mindset has probably, you know, gone by the wayside a little bit, and it's probably not the place to sink your money now. So like, I
0: got it. I got this idea. You ready? Bitcoin heard might still
1: be a better investment than New Church.
0: Server farm. Server farm or air conditioning HVAC system. That would actually be cool. That you just basically are like, we're going to preserve a shell in some places, just fiberglass or paper mache of this church, inside we're going to totally gut it and we're just going to use it as space for stuff that people don't want to look at
1: i've seen some buildings uh, someone i do business with um actually has a building that's very similar to this it's an old mill uh in worcester county um and the the old mill basement is still intact but like when i say old mill like water uh mill right so for for milling grain yeah um so in the basement You have along basically one long corridor. You've got the giant old millstone that was, you know, turned by running water and whatnot. Next to that, you've got an old diesel locomotive engine that is what was replaced the old millstone when they basically uh, stonewalled up over the the place where the water came through Uh and, you know, replaced it with diesel power. And then just off to the side from that... Is a server farm. It's they lease out the basement now to this, you know outsiders who are just filled the place with racks upon racks hmm. of, of of modern technology. And just walking into this space, you can see like 150 years of human uh, ingenuity just sitting right there. And what's crazy about it is it's still like water leaking through the walls and whatnot, but everything drains perfectly so that the the modern technology doesn't get damaged by really cool stuff. So that I could actually get into.
0: I'm sorry I didn't ask Ted about this. How how much would it cost to build a Disney-type structure? How much would
1: it cost to go to a break,
0: Mike? It would would be free of charge to go to a break. I think everybody would really appreciate it. (laughs) This is 508 Worcester's Libertarian Voice. We'll be back in a moment with more. Everyone loves him. He's all alone in the world. His mother and father weighed several hundred pounds, but little Ernie was born to be a mini pig. No bigger than the palm of your hand, no larger than a telephone. Born to go through his entire life as a mini pig. Yes, the smallest pig in all the world, and he is here right now. Come in and see him now, just one pound of bacon on the hoof, alive and here now on The 508 Show with Brendan Millican and Michael Benedetti. Hanging on by a thread, Mike. We're hanging in by a thread. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel awkward
1: like silence. I, nothing Nothing makes radio better than we awkward were just, silence. We
0: were just talking more about church preservation over the break, and I feel like I want to tell more stories from my life. Tell story stories of the time the church I went to in Manhattan was saved from uh, the wrecking ball totally unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, I don't want to tell that story, Brendan. I want to talk about Worcester. Did they make any...
1: So I I, I, I read uh, everything that I've read over the last 24 hours or so about the church. The one thing I wasn't able to really suss out... Was like, have they made any, is, is are they just
0: knocking the thing down? I guess.
1: Okay. Because everything was framed around the idea from the mayor saying, well, there's nothing we can do. We're not, the city's not getting right. involved. But it didn't really take the extra step. It sounded very much like somebody smart in the uh, mayor's office shied away from inserting any language or allowing him to say anything that was going to seem like an endorsement by the mayor's office for knocking down the church. The so, mayor
0: wasn't like, I want to knock <laughs> this church down personally. Get
1: me my hammer. Um but I think that was a smart move because I honestly have no idea whether or not we, – we could leave the studio today and the church could just be gone for all I know.
0: I want to talk about – since we've been talking about a bunch of old-timey <clears throat> weird stuff, I want to talk about these uh, old-timey at Worcester ads. Um, We've got one for Columbus Park. Did you see this one from Columbus Park? No. Building restrictions ensure good residences only. No, quote, three-deckers, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great. Exquisite country scenery, bird's-eye panorama of the city. Beautiful. This tract offers the most attractive sites for homes within the city limits. City water. Gas, electric lights, sewers. Even, In a remote part of Worcester, <laughs> they even have a sewage system. Brendan Gilman, we have Gilman Carriage Works. We have Eureka Corn, the greatest ensilage variety known. Where'd you find these? Uh, these are all, you know, these are things which you can just find. Like once you once you hit the the mother load of Worcester ads, Brendan. <laughs> It is, there is infinite awesome Worcester. It's a ads. rabbit hole you can just, uh. You can. These are, these are, down. these are from two old publications. One of them is called Worcester Magazine. No oh, yeah, relation to the modern Worcester Magazine, but this is Worcester Magazine uh, promoting citizenship and com- commerce and good citizenship, I think. Okay. Um, and the other one is called Worcester Light, the Worcester Light. Huh. Uh, Worcester, the old Worcester magazine had one article, for example, that was called Something About Worcester, period. That was the title of the article. <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of this week's show, Something About Worcester, period. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Brendan, was 75 slays. Did you read this? This is my favorite Worcester ad of all time. I mean, we've got separate H&R revolvers. They're still around, right? Harrington and Richardson. No, that was a. So that was the company that was over on the corner of Park Ave and Chandler Street.
1: Oh, right. Right where there's now a. It's either a Walgreens or Brooks Pharmacy.
0: What's the gun manufacturer that's still that's
1: around? That's Car Arms. Oh, okay. And that's okay. the. That's a relatively new gun manufacturer. So Car is the one that's kind of interesting because it's actually the son of Reverend Sung Young Moon from the Moonies, right? Who right. owned and founded. Uh, car arms. Yeah.
0: We've got Haywood Boot and Shoe. We've got a company that makes a clothesline called the hey, the Hill Clothes Dryer. We've got Bonton Corsets, infinite Bonton Corset ads from back in the day. Fairbanks Model Drugstore, Holland and Havner Bike Shop. We are on the ground floor. No stairs to climb, no dangerous elevator. Private instruction in bodybuilding, fencing, club swinging, sparring, etc. Gymnasium, shower, baths, etc. So I'm going to make a, a weird suggestion. Yeah. And I know you're having
1: fun with these from a novelty perspective, I am. but I think there's something really important in here that gets overlooked a lot. I was having this conversation recently with my mother, right? That and she was bemoaning still. Well, there
0: is something, but I, it's not, you were thinking of different things. So tell all me all these
1: great things of. going on in the city, and my mother always loves to come back to. But there's still no retail, and I always try and politely redirect her. It's like no, there, the retail that might be lacking is just what you in your uh, uh, your. your your later years, mom, are, uh, are, are reminisce about as as retail, right? Like when Main Street was full of, you see old photos, like Main Street full of retailers yes, and whatnot. Yes. But if you go down the, the list of, of things that were also available, then like you look at those old photos, half the store windows had like Kodak and Polaroid and Canon like ads, right? Like we're, right. we're not bringing back the film store. Sorry, it's just not going to, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Even more modern closings like shacks. Like I, I said to her recently, you know, Realistically, uh, barring somebody who just goes there out of habit, who really needs to go into Worcester to spend six hundred dollars on a on a on a well-fitted men's suit, if not more, when you can take a forty-five-minute ride into Boston, go to a place like Nine Tailors, where they're going to take all your measurements, send them to their uncle in Hong Kong, and you're going to have a Hong Kong bespoke suit right. shipped back to you within a week and a half? That's you know like legit and going to be $350.
0: A lot of these models just don't make sense. This is how stylish man Brendan Melikan dresses, by the way. Not today, but whenever you wear suits, you wear these Hong Kong suits, right?
1: Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I've got a couple off the rack that I like bring to local tailors and one, I still think there's a lot of value in a local tailor. But I think if you went through a list like this and you, you looked at the things that might even be, seem kind of goofy, these are actually the kinds of small local businesses that we should be keeping in mind when we're talking about retail development in the city of Worcester. Because it's not about what's working on a national level or what's working in Auburn Or Marlboro or Boston, it's what does the city of Worcester actually want and need, and what can the city of Worcester provide itself Mm. through retail? And a lot like of these, a, like old, an ad exactly. And, and that's exactly the point. It's it's only going to be locals, whether they come from a a certain segment or demographic of the population uh, that that is here, or just somebody who's here and realizes what w- where there's a hole. You don't need to wait for a national brand to come around and fill that hole via you know long-term site surveying. You need locals to do it. And I think this is one of the things that we've kind of forgotten is that there's some good ideas in here.
0: There are. Well, I'll tell you the thing that I, the thing I feel is overlooked, Brendan, is not that. It's this <laughs> ad that says 75 sleighs at your own price. I want, to, I want to read this ad to you. 75 what? I want, I want to read this ad to you and have you explain to me what this ad means. I feel like this is our 508 Addresses the Dead episode. Explain this ad written by a long dead person. So this is sleighs as in, you know. Uh, Slays. A, a it, one it, horse open sleigh. Okay, just want to make sure we're clear. I, I was it's hearing not, slaves and you were no, kind of making slaves, me nervous. I thought this was going to be the end of the show. Not slaves, not slayers. Slays. Okay, 75 sleighs, it says in big print, at your own price. Now is the time to buy. Plenty of sleighing ahead. Indications for the next six weeks, cold weather and snow. Parties buying now, if they wish, I will store their sleighs through the summer free of charge. With some who have no room to store, this is an offer worth considering. Buyers should buy now and save at least 20%. George C. Dewhurst, 17 Park Street, opposite the common. No kidding, huh?
1: Are we talking like toboggans here or are we talking horse-drawn
0: sleighs? This is like a horse-drawn sleigh. This this gets into the thing that we always bring up every time that Worcester like shuts down because there's like a foot of snow or whatever, yeah. and we shut the city down for a week. It's like back, back in the day, they didn't shut the city down. I mean, the oh, city no. was really never maybe hopping so much, but they right. had sleighs. At least rich people had well, sleighs. We had, we had sleighs, and we also, snow.
1: to the young people sitting on the other side looking at us like crazy people now, do you what do you folks do when we have terrible snow in in the city? Do you stay home or do you, like...
0: Yeah, stay inside. Have
1: you ever seen pictures of, like, uh, neighborhoods back in, like, the 40s and 50s when there was a snowstorm? It was... There were no plows, right? Like, there are literally everybody in the neighborhood with shovels. And then, like, if you're lucky, a guy who worked on a farm with, like, a, a tractor, like, moving all the snow out of the road. It's this amazing thing to see that, like, we've all become kind of and it's not crazy, like it totally makes sense, but we've become so reliant, uh or expecting the idea that the city's gonna come through and get all the snow out of the way and then maybe we'll go to work or school that tomorrow or whatnot. Like it used to be, to your point, Mike, like you couldn't just shut down, right? There was stuff to do. You had to keep things moving. So everyone picked up their shovel and they weren't even good snow shovels. They were like
0: they, the were bad snow no, they were shovels. No,
1: they're like dirt shovels, right? And just kind of go out in your best tweed and, and get some get some shoveling done.
0: This is another get thing. Shovel this on, is like. another thing which is not based on primary sources. And for all we know, the city totally shut down in a way bigger way back in the day. <laughs> this is just our <laughs> it bully. was one our stage photo that I had seen once. That was yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I just want. I mean, I just think it's. I just don't really understand seventy-five sleighs at your own. I don't understand what at your own price means. I don't really understand. Name your own price. Like how did this guy store sleighs for people? Did he just have like a warehouse? Did he, he just have like a benevolent sleigh manufacturer? Did he just have he like, just, like a whatever? Like a plot of land that he would throw a tarp over the sleighs? Like how how do you I'm sure he had a barn. Maybe a, a warehouse. You think a couple strong dudes would pick the sleigh up and like hang it from a hook or something in this barn?
1: Why do you think we get boats off the uh, out of the water? We uh, we dry docking that's boats. That's what I'm and wondering. We're, we are dry dock sleighs.
0: Well, that's what I'm thinking is though. If there was somebody who was selling uh, uh, boats in downtown Worcester and was like, "I'll dry dock them for you." Do you
1: know anybody with horses? Maybe this isn't something we should start up. Is it a sleigh business for, in the winter in Worcester?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I know people who like horses. Are we you know, done with this show yet? We are basically Are we basically done with the show? We might as well All be right. done. We should be done with the show. Thanks for listening to 508.
1: <laughs> Enjoy the weekend. Um,
0: thanks Thanks for engineering the show. Good job. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. They don't fire next us. Next week's episode 300, Brendan. Oh, congratulations, Mike.